But these last three floods, 2011, 2016, and 2018, each one slightly more, more catastrophic than the, the, the last, are all, were all top-down Tiber floods. They, you know, and there certainly has been a lot of discussion with regards to what is causing these. Is it the increased development, um, you know, the weather patterns, the topography? And, and you know, without being really an expert in anything other than history, I mean, I, I would say that you're probably looking at a combination of all those factors. Howard County, number one. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elk City on Frederick Road. The water is above the doors, coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody for this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, the, next, the door, next door won't open. We can't get out the back and there's a lot of water. It's also We're rolling our dice on a storm by storm basis. Okay, well, are we going to die? I'm gonna, I'm so... No, honey, I'm going to do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stay in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. Before we move forward into the story of present-day Ellicott City, I thought it would be a good idea to learn more about the history of this Maryland mill town and how it came to be. So naturally, sleuth that I am, I went to the most obvious source, the Howard County Historical Society. The Historical Society has a museum that is housed in the former First Presbyterian Church, which was generously donated to the organization in 1960 by Mrs. Alda Hopkins Clark in memory of her late husband, James. Located next to the courthouse in Ellicott City, the original church was constructed in 1837. And the place has had its challenges over the years. The structure collapsed during renovations in 1894, and it was rebuilt later that same year. It's a Gothic-style structure with a soaring 100-foot bell tower, steeply pitched roof, and has stained and leaded glass windows. Everything about it looks, feels, and smells like history. In a good way. I popped by one afternoon to see if I could make an appointment to record an interview later. That's where I met Paulette Lutz. She is the deputy director there. Actually, the top-down floods have done more damage than the floods that come up from the river because uh, the Patapsco flooding, the water rises up at the bottom of Main Street, and there's not a strong, swift force like 
the ones on the Tiber where the, the power of these buildings, if you look at the videos, the water is literally bursting up through the basements out the front windows of the shops and taking furniture and all types of things with it. Yeah. The power of these storms is just incredible. Whereas, you know, I remember, I mean, in 1972 in Agnes, it was a powerful form uh, storm coming, f you know, from the river, but it rose up Main Street, and you just didn't have the currents coming up Main Street, going uphill, like you did with the Tiber floods. She gave me one of the best 20-minute history lessons that I can remember while I waited for Sean Gladden to arrive. Sean is the executive director. That was he speaking in the pre-roll. I arranged to meet with them the following week in the Archives and Research Library. That's located in the Charles E. Miller Branch and Historical Center in Ellicott City. Here's Sean Gladden. So the Ellicott brothers, three Quaker brothers um, who came from um, Bucks County, Pennsylvania in the late 1700s, 1771 to 1772, came to the Patapsco River Valley looking for an opportunity to start a milling operation. When they came here, it was kind of um, ripe for a change, I guess you could say. Um, the, in, um, in and around uh, Pennsylvania, where they were from, in and around Philadelphia, um, there had already been you know, milling operations and you, you kind of had that, that grain trade, I guess you could say. But Maryland had not really wholesale changed over to that yet. They were still tobacco, mostly at least here in what was Anne Arundel County, um, or at least the Howard District of Anne Arundel County. So the, uh, the Ellicott's came here in 1771, scouted out the area, uh, saw this piece of land uh, here, uh, mostly rock and river, and saw this as an excellent opportunity for, for what they were looking for, which was you know, a place to do a milling operation. You had two tributaries coming together and emptying into the Patapsco. It's, it's a wonderful place for milling, for an 18th century milling operation. They bought the property from the Dorsey family. The, the area itself was known as the Hollow, and really the Dorseys hadn't really figured out what to do with this land, so selling it to these, these Quakers made good financial sense for them, and immediately, the, uh, the Quakers started their, uh, their efforts to build a mill town. And then a part of that was trying to convince the local farmers to do some wheat, uh, to get into wheat, into grain. Most of the farmers around here were a little skeptical, but uh, Charles Carroll of Carrollton, uh, who was probably uh, the, the, he definitely was the wealthiest um, farmer at the time, would be a signer of the Declaration of Independence, bought into this idea and had switched um, over to wheat. And, and what, be, what began, and, and this is something that we at the Historical Society have really tried to, um, to kind of accentuate, is the story that Ellicott City, or excuse me, Ellicott Mills, is the birthplace of America's Industrial Revolution, 20 years before the textile mills of New England. Because you have the mill town, you have the farmers who started to switch over, you get Frederick Road, which connects uh, Ellicott Mills directly to Doregan Manor, which is the, uh, the the Carroll Plantation. And then you extend that road out to uh, Baltimore and then further points west, you've got the National Road. Then by the 1830s, you have a railroad. You have an entire area that has grown and has been built on this wheat trade. Maryland, America's breadbasket. Who would have thunk it, right? 
Well, if you're going to harvest grain, you need millstones. So here's Paulette. Part of what drew the ellicots to the area as well was the granite. And the granite uh, was used in building the buildings down in Ellicott City because of the uh, strong nature of the granite. Um, but I don't think that they were thinking at that time of flooding conditions. You know, they were just seeing this as the, a powerful water source, plenty of granite to build the homes and the houses there. And it was the opportunity, the perfect location for their businesses. So now I understand why the town is here, but let's get to the subject at hand. What about flooding in Ellicott City? Well, strap in, because it's quite a history. This one is going to take a few minutes. So the first recorded flood that we know of was 1786. Then from there, 1817, 1837, 1858, 1866, 1868. 1868 was the big one. Um, that, for the most part, wiped out most of what was, whatever was left from the colonial um, the colonial beginnings of, of Ellicott Mills was pretty much wiped out in 1868. And after I give this list, I'll give a few more, uh, some details. But 1868, then 1894, then 1895, 1899, 1901, 1917, 1923, 1933, there were three floods in 1952, then 1956, 1972, 1995, uh, 1996, um, and then we've had the three more recent ones in 2011, 2016, and 2018. Add all that up, I, I want to say it's somewhere around 27 different floods in 250 years, if you do the math, that's roughly one every nine to ten years. Yeah. Now the two worst floods historically have been the flood of 1868 and the flood of 1972. The 1868 flood was very interesting. Um, first of all, it actually did not rain in Ellicott City. Uh, the rain actually was was further upriver, but um, which which is it, it, to some extent there are some similarities between what we've seen, because as you read the the newspaper uh, accounts of the time, the eyewitness accounts, it came out of nowhere. Uh, especially considering that it, it wasn't really raining in Ellicott City. It was dark. There was dark clouds, and then all of a sudden the Patapsco raged, and about forty-two people were killed. I think it was 42 people. Mm -hmm. it was at least 40 people were killed in this one. And as I said, most of the, the early colonial structures were completely wiped out. And one could make the argument that the 1868 flood was kind of a period of transition for Ellicott Mills. Ellicott Mills had really survived as a mill town up to this point. And after 1868, you kind of start to see a shift back towards the development of what was Main Street. Main Street only goes back to the 1830s. As a matter of fact, I believe 1831 was when you first started to see, you know, a really development, a commercial development of, of Main Street. So starting in the 1830s, you saw Main Street starting to develop. You know, you had your saddleries and you had your funeral homes, all the stuff of a 19th century commercial town. Some of the imagery that you get is that it kind of looked like a, a little bit of a Wild West town. After 1868, with many of those buildings that were destroyed on the Patapsco, the shift now comes back into more of the commercial aspect of, of Ellicott City. So, so Main Street is a little bit more of a focus. By 1878, you see a pretty vibrant 
um, Ellicott City had rebounded. So about 10 years it had rebounded. And um, that's where you start to see kind of the, the iconic buildings that we're all familiar with, including some of the buildings that, um, a few of the buildings that were, um, that are scheduled for um, demolition per the, the county's plan are, are more from that era. They don't, a lot of those buildings don't date back to 250 years ago. It's, they're more late 19th century, early 20th century. The 1972 flood would it would be historically speaking the second worst flood in Ellicott City. The there was a water wall that was 14 and a half feet high in 1972 on Main Street, and 11 people I believe died. Right. Uh, going back to the 1868 flood to give you an idea on how truly catastrophic that was, the 1972 flood water wall height was 14 and a half feet. The 1868 was 21 and a half feet, so almost double. So to give you an idea, when, when at least for, for our criteria here at the Historical Society, when we try to describe wh- the, how devastating these floods are, we use these water walls, we use the amount of damage to the buildings and obviously the fatalities. So 1868, you know, 24 and a half feet high, 40 some people died. 1972, you're at 14 and a half feet. 11 people died, you know, and obviously the, the tons of damage. Now, 1868 and 1972 were Patapsco floods, okay, where the Patapsco rose. So there was a lot of standing water. What we've seen these last three years, and I think when the dust settles, we could probably say the 2018 flood may be the third worst, especially considering the extended damage. It certainly was, was worse than 2016. And then probably the fact that 2018 looks to be another transformational flood in our history. I mean, the county is looking at taking these buildings down. That, that's, that's transformational, obviously. Transformational floods. I put a mental check mark next to that comment. One thing that has been made clear to me in researching this story is there are times when Mother Nature changes the rules of the game, period. It's one of the things I find so interesting about human survival throughout history. Now, having said that, um, the topography for Ellicott Mills at the time, uh, for an 18th century mill town, was it was perfect. And I think some of the, the, the problems that we have are, are seeing today is how do we deal with um, an a 18th, 19th century mill town as we see more development in and around that area and, and the climate change and all of these things. We're dealing with what many historic mill towns deal with with regards to these flooding and the, and the changing conditions. Changing conditions, transformation, evolution. That's what history is, isn't it? The record of how people, civilizations, animals survive in a world that continues to deconstruct and reconstruct. Here's Paulette. As always, towns have their ups and downs. Uh, you know, it was this lovely resort town. Then the Depression came in. It hit hard times. The lower end of Ellicott City was a little, I mean, some people would even describe it as seedy. Um, however, uh, after World War II, during the 50s, it was struggling to make a comeback. And then all of a sudden, 72, the flood hits. Here again, another bicentennial year. Mm. And that's right. but but that's right. It was a two a yeah. bicentennial year. That's right. It was our bicentennial year, and boom, here comes Agnes, and it just destroys the town. Well, but what happened 
is a renaissance came out of that because it being the bicentennial year, and we had been making these big plans to do the bicentennial um, restaurant, you know, celebration, but the town turned into what we would call a boutique town. From there, it lost all the, the seediness of the 40s and 50s, and it became antique shops and restaurants and jewelry stores and craft stores. So seven, even though the flood of Agnes was a horrible thing at that moment, it produced this new town that became vibrant and much like the Ellicott City that you see today. So I feel like the storm that we have now uh, in 2018, yes, it did a tremendous amount of damage on top of the 2016 flood. But I see a renaissance, another renaissance coming out of this. And I see the town coming back stronger than ever. It may be a little different, but I feel like with our um, sesquicentennial celebration is coming that, up. Yes, I think it's the sesquicentennial. <laughs> I'm not sure. 250 years. Um, we'll go with that. Yes, right. So, why did we choose to insert this episode here? Because one lesson we can get from history, which is the message I received from Sean and Paulette, is that time marches on, regardless. History is the record of mistakes made, enemies vanquished, treasures salvaged, obstacles overcome, and challenges met. Do we always make the right decisions? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. But we try. And I think this story is about trying to get it right when what's right is not obvious. We're gonna leave you with a comment Sean made because in it, I think he summed up the spirit of Ellicott City and its people. The rhetoric that you know Ellicott City is gonna die when those buildings come down is just not the case. If, if Ellicott City can come back from 18, this 1868 flood, it can certainly come back from this. And, and so I guess I, what I would say to anyone listening to this podcast is, you know, don't believe the hype. Ellicott City is, is, is going to rebound and there's going to be lots of reasons to come back. On the next episode of Ellicott City Historic Town, Historic Water, we have a conversation with a fourth generation property owner in the Historic District who happens to own one of its most recognizable buildings, Kaplan's Department Store. Two days later, my cousin... Uh, texts me and and she says uh, hey check out this uh, YouTube video about Ellicott City it's flooding oh no and this is the night of July the 30th yeah. and so I click on this video and this is a video taken by a gentleman um, at the lower end of Main Street like on the third floor and he's watching the water come pouring out of the front of Kaplan's. And I owned a building next to that, 8129, which had a purple front. Mm -hmm. And it's just pouring out of those buildings. And, and I'm looking at that, and my heart just sank. I can imagine. I said, you know, 
I can't do anything about this. Of course, I couldn't do anything about it if I was in town either. Right. But this is worse than Hollywood, and it's my stuff. Yeah. Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of Capital News Service in Annapolis, Maryland. Original music is by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is The Rain Song, written and performed by Voices 3. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Jeez.